Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Bible Baptist Church. Clint Courtney is probably a name that you do not recognize unless you're either uh, were either an avid baseball fan in the 1950s or a massive Baltimore Orioles fan. If you're neither of those, then you probably have no idea who Clint Courtney is. In the 1950s, he was a catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He, you will not find his name in Cooperstown. In fact, his picture didn't even don one of the cards that would come in the bubblegum packages back in the day. He was just kind of your ordinary baseball player, but he was remembered for uh, his tremendous acts of heroism there on the field. And he was known by his uh, family and by his teammates as Scrap Iron. It's kind of how he played. He really didn't make any memories for people to remember except for his family, probably remembered a couple of the plays that he made, uh, and some, uh, some avid fans. But other than that, Clint Courtney is kind of one of those names that just kind of disappeared off into the distance, even as we continue to play the great game of baseball today. As a catcher, you get bruised up pretty bad, especially back in the day when they allowed runners to run through you and plow through you. It was a difficult, difficult position to play. And yet, Clint Courtney never quit. He never let an injury keep him out of a game, hence the nickname Scrap Iron. There would be times that batters would miss the ball only to hit his shin, times that the ball was foul-tipped only to hit him. There would be times that runners would completely plow him over or slide in spikes first, and as Clint Courtney would fall over into the ground, the dust would rise, he would stand back up, dust off his pants, hit his mitt two times, and then motion to the pitcher to pitch again. There was never a time in which Clint Courtney said, hey, I need a sub, I need someone to take my place. He always took action. And there was never a moment in which the game did not go on without Clint Courtney. He was always out there. Clint Courtney never quit. He resembled a prisoner of war, uh, a warrior, as he would wear uh, bandages. (laughs) He would wear splints, braces, other kinds of paraphernalia that prisoners of war would wear. Some made fun of him, calling him absolutely insane to put his body through that. Others remembered him as a true champion. As you get to the end of the New Testament, you'll find this really, really small book of the Bible. We read a couple of uh, verses from it this morning, the book of Jude. It's only one chapter. Uh, There are only 25 verses in it, but it is absolutely jam-packed with doctrinal truths for both Jude's day and also our day. And I imagine as Jude would pen this, that he was looking at two different groups of people within the church. One, of those that look like Clint Courtney, bruised up, bandaged, but still in the fight. And those that did not have any bandages because they just wanted to stay out of conflict, stay out of persecution, and just kind of lay low. So Jude would write this book to the church, to the saints, and be a reminder to them of their day, of what was going on around them, and that he would encourage them from this book, this short book, to take action. 
Clint Courtney would always take action, no matter the bruises, no matter the bandages, no matter the splints, no matter the cuts, no matter the exhaustion, he took action. And as a believer this morning, if you are uh, saved and you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, there's never a time in which God wants you to quit. Hang up the cleats. He wants you, with your bandages, with your splints, with your bruises, with your spiritual cuts, to continue and to take action. And so Jude is a very small book at the end of the New Testament. The author, obviously, is Jude or Judas, who is not Judas Iscariot, so don't get mixed up between the two. Jude identifies himself in verse 1 as the brother of James, linking him then to who? Jesus. He is the half-brother of Jesus. Interesting that he never mentions that in this verse. And I believe it is because of the incredible humility that Jude has. He mentions himself as the brother of James. Jude may have been the youngest of the brothers. We're told in John chapter 7 and verse 5, this about the brothers, for neither did his brethren believe in him. There was a point in time in which James, John, uh, uh, James and Jude uh, did not believe in Christ. There were times in which, and you'll find this in John, where uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus Christ, your, your family awaits you. And what does he say? Who are my mother and my brethren? These are my brothers and my sisters. And there was this, I'm sure, this kind of this gulf or this uh, gap between Jesus and his brothers. Not because Jesus did anything wrong, obviously, but because his brothers just did not follow Christ. Up until the resurrection. You'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, And after that... He was seen of James. You don't find Jesus' brothers at the foot of the cross because as Jesus hangs there, he says what? John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. James, uh, Jesus' brothers were kind of out of the picture through Jesus' ministry, even up until the, the cross. But what I find fascinating is that Jesus appears to James. And somewhere after this appearance to James, does James then link up with Jude, the younger brother, and now they begin to go forward and to do phenomenal things for the Lord. You don't hear much of Jude. There's only one book, 25 verses long. You hear him short, sweet, to the point, but incredibly deep. And Jude will bring out a message for the saints, but also a message that I believe that we need to hear this morning. And so it was Jude's turn to pick up a pen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to then jot down the words of the Lord. Can you imagine Jude then, sitting down before a blank sheet of paper with a pen? Okay, it's my turn to write. Oh, the memories that I have of Jesus, the times that I decided not to follow him, but the things that I saw him do. It could have been another one of the Gospels. But we see what Jude wanted to, read, to write about. You see it in verse, uh, verse 3. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. That was his original message as he picked up his pen and looked at his paper and did his due diligence in studying. His message was going to be on salvation, the gospel, the bond that we have in Christ. But something was more pressing as the Holy Spirit would begin to Remind Jude and press a burden upon Jude 
of the society in which he lived and for him and the believers around him to stand up and to take action. And so you find in Jude, starting in verse 17, we pretty much skipped the first half of the book. Uh, We're going to go to the last half, and I'll catch you up to speed what, what happens before 17. But in verse 17, we read this, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But beloved, but ye beloved, be building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, halting even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. And he closes his letter. Amen. Jude was excited to write to the believers about their common salvation. Find it in verse 3. The book of Jude, only, even though it's only a chapter long, is jam-packed with doctrine that's specifically, strategically placed right before what other book? Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And as Jude talked about in verse 18, he says, listen, we've got some things to discuss as we live in the last days. As the apostolic age comes to a close and the beginning of the church age dawns, you now have the last days where any moment Jesus Christ can return and will return to claim his bride in which we sang about just a minute ago to bring his bride back to glory with him. We live in those last days. And Jude saw the last times around him as well as there were things such as imitation in verse 5, satanic influence and invasion in verse 6, sexual perversion in verse 7, social unrest, verses 8 through 10, distortion of truth, persecution, self-expression in verse 11, delusion in verses 12 through 13, humanism, I'm my own God, in verses 14 and 15, and criticism in verse 16. And then verse 17, he says, Remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is an important message. And now you see the tension in where Jude sits down with a blank sheet of paper to write down God's word. He wants to write about salvation, but the Holy Spirit says, no, we're in the last days. We need to take action. Look what's around you, Jude. What should we be doing as believers? And he changes his message through the Holy Spirit's guidance. So he begins to pen. And all of this inundated the mind of Jude, and he leads to another message, take action. Take action. Verses 20 through 25 really are action words that we should implement in our life as well. The action word he uses is contend. He says contend. This word means to struggle against, push forward, do something. 
Jude in verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in the days of Jude. Believers were leaving the faith. There was a presence of Sodom and Gomorrah. He mentions that in one of the verses. There was a darkness around the church. Do we not live in a similar time period? Sounds very, very similar to what we live in. Believers leaving the faith, presence of Sodom and Gomorrah, darkness surrounding the church. But Jude reminds the believers that even in the dark times in history, there have been those that have stayed true to the Lord. And he mentions one of those in verse 14, Enoch, a guy that you don't hear much about at all. I think uh, Jude probably uh, was buddies with Enoch. And the idea that he was like, Enoch, there wasn't much spoken about you. There's not going to be much spoken about me. We're just going to take action and live for the Lord. There wasn't much said about Clint Courtney, but what we do know is that he took action and kept going forward. There's not much spoken about Jude, but we know that he took action and pressed forward. There's not much said about Enoch, but we know that he took action and pressed forward. In a darkness in the world in which we live, how will you respond? The, the temptation is to kind of go into the shadows and be a Christian, meet together and just keep it there. But Jude goes beyond the doors of the church and he says, listen, here are the actions that you should be taking, but here's an additional step in which you should be implementing in your life. And I'm excited to show that to you as Jude shows that to us this morning. But let's pray as we get into these doctrinal truths. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for your half-earthly brother, Jude, who comes to us with an, earth, uh, with an urgent message to take action. And Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded of nothing new, but just be reminded of maybe something that we've been lacking in our daily life in Christ, and we pray. Amen. So here this morning, we're going to look at just three action words. The first one is build. The first one is build, because he uses this word in verse 20, but ye beloved, building. Building. It's an action word. It implies somebody picking up a piece of material, setting it down, and building something. Maybe a house, maybe a car, it may be uh, you name it. Something that is being built. Several years ago, my wife and I, actually back in the day, John and I used to be neighbors, next door neighbors, renting. That was way back in the day, it seems like. And we used to rent, which is awesome because if you have a problem in your house, you just call somebody, they come over and they fix it. I was just at my uh, brother-in-law's and sister-in-law's. We went and uh, visited Rachel's brother for the weekend. And I noticed uh, a light bulb that was out in their staircase. And it was out of reach. And obviously, it's on stairs, so a ladder really doesn't work. So I was asking them, how are you going to fix that? And he said, oh, we're just going to call the landlord. I was like, oh, duh. You know, if you rent, somebody else takes care of it. Once my wife and I moved into a house and bought our own house, now those problems, which I could easily give off to somebody else, now became my problems. I had to fix them. I had to take ownership. I had to build what was broken. So the Christian life uh, will never stand still. It should not, never stand still. We realize that our house, if left alone, will fall apart. We realize we need to take action in the constant state of building up what is falling apart. We've had that in our house between a dishwasher, a microwave, a washer and dryer, uh, floor, water, it just, it just all piles up and it seems to all pile up at the same time. You got to take action. 
you got to fix it. The body in which you are encased is not a rental. You cannot go to somebody else and say, here, fix my problems. God lives inside of you. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In a sense, your body is a rental. God has given it to you, but it's not a rental in the fact that you must be the one to step up, step forward, and to start correcting the areas of your life in which God has told you to correct. The Christian house, your spiritual life, will fall apart if left alone. Jude tells us, he tells the believers, so if your life, if left alone, will fall apart, then you need to build up your faith. It's the first thing he tells you. Build your faith. The word faith is the same word that is used in Jude, verse 3, when he says to earnestly contend for the faith. That action word, contend. Contend for the faith. It's equal to the gospel. There's a lot of temptation outside the doors of the church. And Jude says, stay close to the book. Stay close to God's word. I know it seems uh, Sunday schoolish. These kids over in children's church are learning to read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But these are truths in which we need daily as an adult. Because if we are not building in the faith, our spiritual house will crumble. We just talked about in Youth Life this morning the idea of hope. Hope gives us energy to move forward. And Malachi brings a message to the people of Israel, and he says, listen, stay close to God. Stay close to God. Stay close to the promises of God, because it's in the promises and the words of God that give you hope, that keep you moving forward. And Jude says the same thing. Build in your faith. It has been said, stay close to the book. And you won't be tempted by what's at the end of the hook. If you're not in God's word, everything around you will look appetizing. But if you're you're in God's word, you'll be able to, to notice and identify Satan's tactics in your life. John Phillips would say it this way, master the book and then let the book master you. Let God work through you as you go to God's word and build in your faith. He doesn't stop there, though. He says in verse 20, But beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, he then says what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. So the next action in which we should take, the next building block is in prayer. Warren Wiersbe would say this, If all we do is read and study the Bible, we will have a great deal of light, but not much power. However, if we concentrate on prayer and ignore the Bible, we may be guilty of zeal without knowledge. Both God's word and prayer go hand in hand. We must be building in our faith in God's word, and we must be building in prayer. But notice how Jude puts it. He doesn't just say, okay, read your Bible and pray. How does he say we ought to pray? Praying in the Holy Ghost. It has been said, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. Rather, it is getting God's will done on earth. How often do we look to heaven to get what we want rather than asking God what he would like? It's so easy to go before the Lord with our cares and our needs, and he wants us to do that. He wants us to bring our needs and our cares before him. But how often is that our number one agenda 
is to bring our needs and our will to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is, if I had this, it would make life much smoother. Instead of going before the Lord, as Jesus did and said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Chances are very high that God's will and your will don't look similar. God has something different. And so for as a believer in the day and age in which we live, in the day and age in which the, the saints live, when Jude talked to them, he says, build up in your faith, stay close to God and his word, but also continue in prayer. Praying, God, your will be done. God, how do you want to use my life? God, how do you want to use my family? God, your will, your will be done, not mine. As the days come to an end, we are to be spending much time in prayer. Build in your faith, verse 20. Build in prayer, verse 20. Then he says, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. So build in love. Now, when I first read this verse, I was a little puzzled because it seems like God's love is an umbrella in which he holds and he continues to walk through life and I got to make sure that I'm in God's love. But what we see through God's word is God will always love us. We learned that in youth life this morning as well, that God's love never changes and that God's love is forever. And so it must not mean that Jude is telling us, make sure that you keep under the umbrella of God's love. It must mean something different. So I went to a couple of passages of scripture that were correlated that help us out. John 15 and verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. John 15 and verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 1 John 2 and verse 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Psalm 97 verse 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. The idea here is that Jude is telling us that we ought to be loving God. How do we properly love God? It is to obey what God has asked us to do and take delight in doing so. How do we grow in God's love? It is to obey what he has commanded us to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. So when Jude tells the believers here, keep yourselves in the love of God, what is he saying? Keep doing what God has asked you to do. Don't stray away from the truth. If you truly love God, you will keep his commandments. If you truly love God, you will obey what he wants you to do. And as Psalm 97 tells us, if you truly love God, you will hate evil. So for the believer that decides that I will go to church on Sunday and I'll bring my children to church on Wednesday, but throughout the week, I'm kind of careless with what I do and I don't truly obey God to the utmost that I know that I should, what am I saying with my life? I'm not keeping myself in the love of God. I'm not loving God. He still loves me, but I'm showing through my actions that I love something else. That I don't love God 100% with my life. That I love something, someone, more than I love God. And Jude says, listen, the world around you is growing dark. It has a, it has a uh, tinge, a drop of Sodom and Gomorrah. It has an attraction Build yourself up in God's word. 
Build yourself up in prayer. God, your will, not mine. And stay true to what God has asked you to do. Love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Guard yourself. It's this idea that when you go to Proverbs and it tells you to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jude uses the same word. Keep yourself in the love of God. Guard your life. Don't let things come into your life that keep you from loving God 100% how you should be. Have you allowed a television show? Have you allowed music? Have you allowed uh, worldly pleasures to creep in and to take the place of God? Are you guarding your love for him? He won't stop there. He'll say, keep in God's love. Build yourself in God's love. Build yourself in prayer. Build yourself in your faith. But then he also says, build yourself in waiting. Look at verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This word looking means to earnestly wait for. It is an anticipation. Because you know what's going to happen, you just don't know when. The idea is of a bride eagerly waiting for her wedding date. Now, the, the, the difference is the bride knows her date. We don't. But the bride, in anticipation of that day, what does she do? The date is circled. She is ready. She has bought the gown. She has invited the guests. And now she's just waiting with eager anticipation for that day. It also has... Children, if you're like, I'm not married and I'm not getting married, it has this idea, is that on Christmas Eve, you're looking at the tree and you see all the presents beneath it and you're just waiting with anticipation to just bust through every box that's under that, that tree. That's the idea. Jude says, listen, you ought to have an anticipation, an eager excitement that Jesus Christ is coming back. You don't know when, but you ought to be waiting and you ought to be looking. Jude uses looking. Peter uses looking. John uses looking. Multiple apostles use the word look. And it's a reminder for us today that if we're not looking for his return, we're looking at something else. We have been created with an innate ability to focus on one thing and one thing only. Sure, you can out of your peripheral vision see other things. But as I look at my wife, I am talking with her and she is my focal point. But if she's talking and I'm looking somewhere else, my attention now is not looking at her, it's looking at something else. And Jude is reminding the believers, listen, the temptation has been to not look at Jesus, but to look at something else. Look at the turmoil, look at the politics, look at, uh, look at the sin around you, look at uh, what's fun, look at what is, what's attractive, look at the next thing on your calendar. We are looking constantly, but Jude says we're looking at the wrong thing. Look for, and I love how he describes it, He says, looking for what? Mercy. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not, what? Consumed. As the world looks for the day of judgment, we as believers look for the day of mercy. And I'm so excited for that day. And I'm so thankful that God decided to give to us his son, Jesus Christ, to be, as we will celebrate later, the sacrifice in our stead. And because of that, we can echo what Jude says and we can say, I'm looking for the day of mercy. 
I'm looking for that day in which he returns and grants us and shows us even more of his mercy. And he shows us mercies every day. They're new. Great is thy faithfulness. But imagine a day in which we stand face to face before God and all of his mercy will be given in the form of eternal life with his dear son, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, Peter says, Looking and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Titus talks about this as well in, in chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. These are all actions that we must take in building a sure foundation. We ought to be building in our faith. We ought to be building in our prayer life. We ought to be building, as, we, as he talks about, in our love for God. And we ought to be building in our waiting and our looking. How are we doing so far? We, we may be doing fine. I'm not sure. As you look through this, you might be thinking, okay, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Check. Jude reminds me, take action. Build, be in God's word. Keep in prayer. We ought to be loving God. And we ought to be looking for his appearance. I'm doing that. Awesome. I'm good to go. But Jude doesn't finish his book here. He continues. He finishes up verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's where we should look. Don't know what's going to happen. But Jude says, we're living in the last days. Here comes revelation. It'll tell you all about it. (laughs) We're living in the same last days. Then he writes, and of some having compassion making a difference. Now, there's some question here as you read verses 22 and 23, and I went to multiple commentators. There's some question as to whether or not Jude is talking about two groups of people or three groups of people. A lot of great commentators side with the three groups of people, and whether or not you look at it as two or three, the message doesn't change because this is what Jude is saying. Not only should you be building but you should be displaying. What are we to display? Mercy. We're looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ in which he will come and take us to his home that he has prepared for us, eternal life. And now with that mercy that we are being granted, now verse 22, we are to turn and to display that mercy. And here's who we're to display that mercy to. There's the doubter. There's the deserter. And there's the danger. Again, they could be two groups of people, they could be three, but nonetheless, this, this describes those who are not actively serving Jesus Christ. You can put them in any one of these categories. And so there's the doubter. And some, having compassion. There are going to be people in this ministry and outside of this ministry that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but may not be up to par with where your standards are. What should you do? Have mercy. Have compassion. There may be some that have just recently accepted Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, and you look at their life and you say, wow, that needs to go, that needs to go, that needs to go. But what does Jude tell us to do? Have compassion. They're growing. We started on day one as well. So we ought to have compassion to the doubter. And there were a lot of skeptics in Jude's day. Gnosticism was big. And so in, in, in the church and outside of the church, there were believers that were being pulled in two different directions. The truth, humanism. The truth, 
Gnosticism. And what does Jude say? Don't get frustrated with them. Don't just tear them to shreds. Have compassion. Pull them back in with mercy. That's the doubter. Those who are wavering. These people are converted but not grounded very deeply in the faith. You may even call these people young believers, but listen, they may be believers that have been believers for a long time, but have not grown very much. We still need to have compassion and show mercy. Either they have recently come to faith or they've not grown much in faith. So the conclusion is, those believers who may have weaker standards than you show mercy. Those believers that don't seem to be growing very fast spiritually show mercy. That's the doubter. Now he goes into verse 23, and others save with fear. Now he uses this word fear, and this is important for us to grasp as we read this verse. But there's the doubter being pulled, wavering back and forth. Is, is, is this what I ought to do? Is this double-minded almost? Then you have the deserter. Those that have deserted the faith and are of need of rescuing from apostasy. Apostasy is rampant in today's age, and it's rampant here in Jude's age. And this is why he's saying, listen, go after those. Don't just say, oh, another lost cause, another one that truly wasn't saved. I hope the next one that gets saved truly sticks. No, he says, take action. Go after them. Have compassion. Show mercy. Go after the deserter. And so the church, I get this picture that the church in Jude's day has dwindled. The attendance role isn't as great as what it once was. So what does Jude say? Oh, we'll just stay close to God's word. We'll pray. We'll keep in God's love. We'll look for his return. But that's, that's about all we're doing. No, he says, do all that. But then bust out your doors and go after those that have been here but aren't. Go after those that, have, that showed signs of life but are gone. Go after them. Do your due diligence. Take action. Run after them. And then he says something else that may make you turn your head a little bit. And he says, go after those that are dangerous. Because he uses this picture and the people that Jude talks to know exactly what he's talking about. He says at the end of verse 23, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now he, he connects this with Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 2. There's a lot about the unclean and the clean. And he connects this with Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. It says, If a soul touch anything unclean, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of an unclean cattle, or a carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and if it be forbidden or hidden from him, he shall, what happens? He is unclean. He's guilty. There was a lot in the Old Testament, a lot of reminders from the priests that if you go around something that's unclean and you touch it, regardless of if you're clean, you become unclean. Now, the picture was that I cannot just waltz up to something that is unclean, me being clean myself, touch it, and it be clean. It doesn't work that way. In fact, we'll be reminded through Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, don't be deceived. Don't think that you can just go to somebody that is living an immoral life and just be buddy-buddy with them and let your cleanness rub off on them. Why? Because Paul says evil communication corrupts good manners. John reminds us in chapter 17 and verse 16, they are not of the world, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What are we supposed to do? Live in the world, but not of the world. Our life should not mimic the world's life. So what does Jude say? Show compassion with mercy, 
but with fear. We ought to be going after those that are kind of wavering, not really growing in the faith, those that have once been with us that have deserted, go after them, but also those that have never stepped foot in our church. We ought to be going after them as well. Regardless of the lifestyle, regardless of the sin, we ought to be showing compassion, displaying mercy, but to do so with fear. Here's the fear that Jude is talking about, that we ought to be speaking the truth in love. Look at these people as not the enemy, but as the prize. Know the enemy is behind their life. Know the enemy that they're just serving their master, the devil. Know that. They're not the enemy. They're the prize. So we go after them. We go after them with mercy, with compassion. But peace along with the truth, we must show love. We can't just bash them with truth and leave them bleeding spiritually. We must show them truth in love. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what are we to do? We are to show mercy with fear. So are we to be uh, less prudent in our dealings with these people? Less likely to talk to them? Less likely to share Christ with them? Absolutely not. We should be then, with the strong language here, showing or displaying fear along with our mercy. What is this fear? It is a caution. It is a caution that, apart from Christ, this could be you. Peter will remind us, take heed lest you fall. Guard yourself. Go after these people, but make sure you put your guard up first. Show compassion, show mercy, but do so with fear. These people are the people that you're going to come in contact with. A person that is young in the faith, that hasn't grown much. A person that maybe was in church, but is not in church anymore. Or a person that wants nothing to do with Christ. And all three of these types of people, Jude says, as you build yourself in faith, as you build yourself in your prayer life, as you build yourself in the love of God, as you build yourself in looking for his return, go after people. Go after them. Because it was Jesus that showed up to his brother James that said, listen, here I am. Here's the nail scars. James was what? Probably one of those ones that was wavering. It's probably one of those ones that, yeah, Jesus is real. I see him. He's in my house. He does no wrong. I'm always getting the spankings. <laughs> he, he does no wrong. And so there's probably a little bit of bitterness throughout his life to Jesus. When Jesus shows up to him and he says, listen, James, I've been the one that you've been missing the entire time. James gets on fire for God. And Jude comes right along with him. And now you read the writings in Scripture of brothers that decide, listen, we need to serve Jesus. And so as believers, we need to go to the doubter. We need to go to the deserter. We need to go to the dangerous and share the good news of Jesus Christ, but do so with compassion, with fear, displaying mercy. And then lastly, and I love how he wraps up this book, we need to commit. Build, display, now commit. Verses 24 and 25, he wraps up. As he concludes his letter, as he concludes this book, he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory, his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, not just now, but in the day and age in which Bible Baptist Church will live, 
in a day and age in which other churches will live after us. May His glory, may His dominion, may His power be displayed. And verse 24, I love it because he talks about some difficult things. Build in your faith. Build in your prayer life. Build in your love. Build in your watching and your looking for Christ. But get your hands dirty. Go after people. But as you do, do so with fear. Committing your life to the Lord, verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Commit your life to the Lord. Lord, this is dirty work. I'm doing my best to build up my foundation and now I'm going out of these doors to bring other people back in and I'm doing so with compassion, with mercy, but with, with caution. And I know you're the one that can keep me from falling. God, I know you're the one that can keep me spotless. So as I go minister to a coworker that whose life is in shambles, can you show your love to them and keep me from ending up in the same place? We need humility. Jude is an incredibly humble man as he opens up his his writing. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm his brother. He doesn't say, I lived with him. I saw everything that he he did. I'm closer to Jesus than you'll ever be. No, he says, I'm his servant. And so as a believer, we need to do some foundation work Build in our faith. Stay close to God's word. We need to build in our prayer life. Don't pray for what you want. Pray for God's will to be done here on earth. And we need to be loving God. What's taking place of God? What am I loving more than him? What am I serving more than him? Am I watching for Christ's return or am I looking for other things? Do I just see God coming back in my peripheral vision or do I, am I focused on his return? Am I getting my hands dirty and going after people? Am I building relationships with people that aren't my type of people, that don't serve the God that I serve, that don't live the way that I serve? Am I building those relationships with the goal of reaching them and pulling them out of the fire, as Jude says, and doing so with compassion and doing so with mercy, but understanding this is dangerous work? Because if I'm not humble and if I'm proud, I can end up in the same boat. So God, I need humility. God, you're the one that can keep me from falling. So as we build our foundation and we extend mercy and truth to those that are around us, we now must commit our way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Because he is able to keep us from falling. In a world full of evil, God can keep us godly. In a world full of hate, God can keep us loving. And the joyous conclusion is that when Christ returns, and this is what we're going to celebrate this morning, he presents us without spot before our Father. I don't know about you, but I I feel so spotted. I fall. I fail. And when Christ comes back, he will take me by the hand. He will walk me into the throne room of God, and he will say, Father, Here's your spotless child. It just blows my mind that Christ would do that for me. How do we respond to the evil of the world around us? We take action. We become a Clint Courtney. We bandage ourselves up. We splint ourselves up. We dust off the dust. We pound our mitt. And we get back in the game. 
God wants us to take action. How do we do that? We build, we display, and we commit. Jude reminds us to not sit on our hands. Do not hide yourself. Do not withdraw from society. As the world grows darker, the light of the gospel should shine brighter. The absence of light means that we need to turn our lights on and go into that darkness. The more night present, the more light is needed. Build, display, commit. All action words. So Jude says what? Get busy. He tells the church, he tells the saints, listen, it's, it's, it's dangerous out there. Get busy. Don't sit on your hands. Don't just operate within your people. Go out, build relationships, show compassion, show mercy. Do so with fear. Committing your life to the Father, the one that can keep you from falling, the one that will present you faultless, spotless before the Father. Keep going. To him be glory. To him be dominion forever and ever. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.